Hello. Welcome to the Teens Talk Change podcast. This is episode one of a podcast produced by Teens for Change, a political organization inspiring the youth to get involved in politics. I'm your host, Kaysen, and I'm also the president of Teens for Change. Today, I talk with Alex Grunenfelder, who is running for mayor of Los Angeles, about his plans for the city. I really hope you enjoy this episode, but first, a word from our sponsor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are certain tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Teens Talk Change podcast. Let's first start off by talking about what you're running for. You recently announced your run for mayor of Los Angeles. What made you decide to run and what is the main reason behind your run, behind your campaign or main focus point? Well, thanks for having me on. I think really the thing that drove me to run is the fact that a lot of the promises that have been made to everyday Angelinos are falling through the cracks. And the paramount issue on Angelino's minds, more than two thirds of people in this city have said in various surveys that homelessness is the number one political issue on their mind. Homelessness is the number one reason that I am running. We see homelessness, which is a symptom of a greater problem. We see homelessness as being an unsolvable problem, but that's simply not the case. As I said, homelessness is a symptom. It's a symptom of the crises of mental health, of addiction, of unaffordable housing, and of an unequal economy. So as mayor, I will work to end homelessness here in Los Angeles, to protect renters, and to provide the resources needed to make sure that the homeless have what they need to live a comfortable, good life. And that is the number one topic and the reason that I am running in this race. And how would you aim to stop homelessness? Do you have like a plan to do that um, or something like that to help end it in the city? Absolutely. The home plan on my website, mayoralex.com, goes into great detail on this. But really it comes down to a few basic ideas. The first is that we're going to work to end street homelessness by providing safe camping grounds. If people are going to be sleeping in tents, which is an unfortunate symptom of the problem, let us have them do it first in safe communities that can provide them the resources rather than having them under local underpasses. Following this, we need to construct more bridge housing, tiny house projects so that we can get people with a roof over their head because although there are problems with addiction, with mental illness, with lack of jobs, you cannot solve these problems until someone has a roof over their head. Which brings us to the third part, which is that we need to be focusing on how do we get people the resources they need? You know, we can build mental health clinics and treatment centers, and we need to. We can build more rehabilitation services 
And rather than focusing on criminalizing homelessness, criminalizing addiction, we can work to rehabilitate people so that their problems can truly be solved and they can break out of the cycle of poverty. And finally, we just need to be building more permanent supportive housing because there are some people who may just need a few weeks to get back on their feet in a hotel room that the city provides through Project Room Key. There are others who may need the bridge housing, 90 days, 180 days. But there are some folks who are really going to need to be put into permanent supportive housing by the city. There's a range of needs and a truly good approach to homelessness needs to focus on all of them. So I'm gonna bring in the right experts to City Hall, people who have been working in the nonprofit sectors dealing with homelessness, and I'm gonna bring those people to City Hall so we can get the work done. And um, what would you say to the Republicans or people who oppose a bigger number? Or how would you, I guess what I'm trying to say is, what would you say to Republicans who would say this would cost too much money? I think that's absolutely a concern, not just of Republicans, but of conservative Democrats. And I'm certainly uh, running against at least one in this race. And they use a lot of the same talking points of the Republican Party. And I think really what we need to be looking at is the long-term costs of what we are having right now. And the system we're having right now says, okay, well, we're going to deal with rising crime, crimes of survival, people in poverty, that costs money. Having people living on the streets, having police constantly coming through, uh, perpetrating sweeps of encampments, that costs money. What we're doing right now costs a lot of money. And long-term, getting people with a roof over their head is gonna be the compassionate solution. It's gonna be the solution that makes sense. And it costs a hell of a lot less than sending people to jail, like some of my opponents are proposing in regard to what we should do with the mentally ill and those addicted to drugs. But I think also we need to focus on where the money's coming from. And when you look at my plan, because I am going to stop corporate welfare here in Los Angeles and reallocate more funds, we can fund this program without raising taxes on everyday Angelinos. And that's critical to me because I think that there are a lot of people who think, well, this is going to cost a lot of money, but long-term, this is the more affordable plan. This is the more compassionate plan. And it's the only plan that is actually going to get the job done to end homelessness. Do you have an estimated price tag uh, for this plan, um, or is it still all up in the air? Really what we're talking about in terms of this plan is very much adjustable, but because we need to be dealing with people as they become unhoused. But I think one thing that I can say is that under Mayor Garcetti's plan, our incumbent mayor, we're talking about units that cost five to $600,000 a piece for a small unit for someone to be in temporary or permanent housing. And that's a lot of money. Now, just the other day, I was down at Hope of the Valley, their new facility in Reseda, where they're building tiny houses for bridge housing. Down there in Reseda, they were building them for about $30,000 a piece. So if we do this on a large enough scale, if we do it with the incentives of our city government, 
we can lower the cost substantially. This plan to completely end homelessness in Los Angeles is going to cost between a few hundred million and a few billion dollars total. But based on the total amount that we give every year to the LAPD, to subsidizing big hotels and big stadiums, it's really not that much of a cost, especially when you consider that once we start getting this done, we have these resources there. If someone transitions out of the tiny housing, out of bridge housing and into a permanent home, that then becomes a vacant unit. So if someone gets on the street, rather than what we have now, people languishing for years waiting for services, once we build those services, they're there for anyone who needs them. So it's going to cost uh, between a few hundred million and a few billion dollars. Um, the all-encompassing plan uh, does cost a lot of money, but it intertwines with our general criminal justice reform plan of ending the criminalization of mental illness and the criminalization of addiction. Um, and do you think that it would be needed to, well, do you think that it would last forever? Like the year plan, do you think it would create a pathway for a different plan um, in the future? Or do you think it'd be kind of set in stone and all done for? Do you think it would need to be as years go on? Um, like, do you think it would need to be adjusted at any point? Or is it kind of future proof? No plan can truly last forever. But that being said, I think that there is a future proof aspect to it, which is we know that the number one way to solve homelessness is simply to get a roof over people's heads. And that's what this plan can provide. And although over time we may need to provide different resources, there are innovations all the time in mental health treatment and drug addiction treatment. So there's always things that are innovating. There's always things that can improve. But if we stay steadfastly by these policies, they're going to get the job done. And I think that's really important because I was talking to an expert recently, someone who runs a, an organization that works to provide services to unhoused people who's worked in both Los Angeles and New York. And he was telling me about the problems they're having in New York with the fact that they have built an entire system based only on temporary shelters. And so although they've been able to have fewer unhoused people living on the streets compared to us, those are still people trapped in the cycle of homelessness and poverty forever. So all the solutions we're implementing have long-term consequences. I think my plan is the only one I'm seeing right now that's truly going to be able to have long-term positive ramifications. But absolutely, if another mayor comes in after hopefully my tenure and says, we believe there's innovative things we can do to make this more cost-effective, to make it more compassionate, to get things done, uh, I'd be very welcome to hearing about that. And how long would your term be? Um, or one term? One term is four years. You are term limited at two years. So it's a, it's between four to eight years in office. Um, there's currently some controversy over whether or not uh, our incumbent mayor will be going to be the ambassador to India and whether or not there might be a special election if that happens. 
but it's likely that the election will be primary in June 2022, general in November 2022, and the next mayor, hopefully myself, will be sworn in December 2022 and serve until at least 2026. All right. Um, well, it's nice to hear your, uh, you have a whole plan for homelessness, which um, all sounds amazing. Um, and we're, our organization is extremely excited to uh, work with you uh, to promote this plan and other things like that. Uh, what would your what would you say your policy on climate change would be? I think climate change is one of the most pressing issues facing our society, not just here in the United States, but globally. I think we need to steadfastly work to bring about real change to stop and reverse the impacts of human-caused global warming and climate change. So that is something I prioritize at the city level. We currently have a very, very small environmental policy here in Los Angeles, a big plan proposed by our current mayor, which over the course of about a decade, it's being called the Green New Deal for Los Angeles. But it's not working fast enough on making the investments that are going to prepare us for that long-term change. So really, I am working right now with great environmental advocates to draft exact plans for how we can cut our carbon emissions within one term as mayor so that we can dramatically cut our carbon emissions because it's necessary. That includes working immediately to convert all city-owned buildings to green energy. It means making sure city contractors have green energy and making it easier for everyday Angelinos to do the same. It means that sustainable public transit needs to be invested in by the city of Los Angeles. And to make sure that it is easy to take micro-mobility, such as bicycles, in our city. We need to make it easy to make those decisions that truly are going to be better for ourselves and our planet. And that's why I support keeping LA Metro free, making our subways free, and creating more incentives for people to make the green decisions. Because the policies we're enacting toward climate change are all right, but we need to be planning for a very different future. And so when I see things like oil drilling happening within the boundaries of our city, the second largest city in America, and we're seeing oil drilling, that's unacceptable. We're gonna stop drilling for oil. We're gonna make our city be on 100% renewable grid, and we're gonna incentivize public transit so that people can get out of their cars and help work to stay green with us. And how do you plan on doing uh, the whole plan uh, for the subways and buildings you've mentioned um, running on green and clean energy. Uh, how do you plan on doing this? Really, we need a lot of help from the city council. And I know a lot of great folks running for city council right now. What we need to do is we need to make the city council a more progressive body because at the moment it's not. But, you know, we are one of the few major cities that can say, that we have no Republicans on our city council. We have 14 Democrats and an independent. 
So we have this ability to make change on environmental issues. We need to bring a real Green New Deal to Los Angeles. And so when it comes to buildings, when it comes to these different things, when it comes to the city contractors with clean and green energy, really there's a lot that we can do simply by executive power, by the people that I'm able to appoint as mayor, the dozens of folks I'm appointing as mayor, appointing people who see environmental justice as an important issue. That's something that I can do as mayor. I can work with the city council in proposed budgets to make sure that we can get these funding priorities done. And I can work with the Los Angeles Metro Board to show that despite us being slightly different bodies, one more overlapping with the county, one being the mayor of the city, that we can come together to make cleaner, greener public transit and to encourage people in LA to take public transit. Because I frequently talk to voters who tell me about how bad traffic is, how worried they are about the car culture in Los Angeles. And yet we don't have the public transit infrastructure to actually allow them to get out of their cars, to get on a bus, to get on a subway. And that's something I'm going to drive through as mayor because these are decisions that are not only the environmentally sustainable ones, but they're the ones that are gonna improve quality of life. They're gonna make it easier to be a resident of the city. And I think that's critical because there's often an idea that you just have to sacrifice to save the planet. But I think what a Green New Deal shows us is that these are policies that are going to enhance our lives, not detract from them. Uh, let's talk about more of the transportation stuff. Um, when you're talking about getting more people onto the transportation, it's kind of lifestyle um, and less car stuff uh, throughout the city. How do you plan on kind of making people switch over to the clean transportation would you add more stations in popular places and even in less popular places or would you advertise it more for me i see it as coming down to three basic ideas that's keeping and maintaining fares as being free that's adding more bus routes throughout the city and it's making it easier to build underground and above ground trains in the city First and foremost, and I say this as someone who takes public transit, I don't own a car. I am purely a public transit rider here in Los Angeles, and I know the hardships that the city's system has. But during the pandemic, the city implemented free bus fares, and they were great. They've been working great, and they encourage you, even if you only need to take a bus a few miles when you might normally pay for a lift or take your car if you're not sure about parking. That lack of cost is a great thing. So we need to bring that to the subways and we need to make public transit free completely here in Los Angeles. Two, I wanna add more bus routes. Bus routes are one of the simplest forms that Metro can take because you can redirect them at will. They're up on the streets, they're easy to access. We need to be adding more routes and we need to make sure those routes serve the areas that most need them. Because just the other day I was in downtown for a series of protests that I attended and seeing how complicated it could be to take a bus from downtown Los Angeles 
the hub of our city to Echo Park, where I live and where I'm a neighborhood councilman, just next door in terms of neighborhoods. The fact that that can be a complicated experience is ridiculous. So we need to add more bus routes because it's an easy thing to do. And three, we need to make it easier to build trains. Because at the moment, we have invested lots of money as a city into subways, into more train routes. And yet, we're not seeing the results because there's not the initiative there. NIMBYs, the so-called not-in-my-backyard people, don't want the train construction near them. And as a result, the city's leadership caves, and we have permanent construction sites that just never get finished. So we need to make it easier to build that transit. Because I think we have spent a lot of money trying to incentivize people, trying to encourage people, trying to advertise Metro to people. But if the routes that get them to work, to their children's schools, to the fascinating things you can do in this city that they'd like to go out and do on a Saturday morning, then they're not going to do it. So we need to make those investments now because those are investments that are long-term going to be good for our city. Yeah, uh, let's talk about some bus route type things. Um, I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, which is like the second big, biggest city in Michigan. Um, and there are a lot of different bus companies um, and like city buses type things that you can take around. Now, a lot of the routes, if you go and look at them, make absolute no sense for people riding them, but they make more sense for a mayor planning out routes or the people who plan out the routes. How would you make sure that people that want to go to a museum don't have to get off a bunch of blocks away and walk as far as, like, how would you make sure it's more convenient for the people that want to ride buses or trains? That's a great question. I think what we're seeing right now is actually a great innovation that I'm curious to see how it does here in L.A. Every number of years, we change the bus routes based on consumer data, and that's what we're in the middle of doing right now. Though it won't be perfect, I think it's a great start. I was talking to a new friend of mine named Kenny, and Kenny specifically, he's been written up in the LA Times, he's been written up in different uh, journalistic establishments for the fact that he encourages people to get on Metro, and he helps people to figure out Metro routes. And one of the things Kenny was talking about was this idea of expanding bus routes and how he believes buses are this great form of investment. I think the way that we can do this is that we have this data. It is really easy to access this data on what routes are working and which ones aren't. As mayor, I can work to increase funding so we can add more. And I can work with the Metro board to make sure that the data that we're getting, which says, where are you taking the bus today? Well, I'm taking the bus to the Natural History Museum. All right, how do we get the bus as close as possible? How do we make sure that we're putting our money in the right place? And it's all about data. It's my belief that data-driven epistemology is the way to get fact-based results. And so, by just looking at the facts, by looking at where people are actually going on the buses and rerouting as such, and investing more money to guarantee that there aren't heavy wait times for those most important routes. Because when a bus comes every 10 minutes, 
for a route that only three or four people are on each bus, that's not efficient. And it's even less efficient when folks are having to wait outside, in some cases, without even a bench or an overhang at the stop. And they're having to wait for a bus that only comes once an hour. You know, I think about the Los Angeles Zoo route, which is uh, a route that's often talked about as being uh, crucial to people who want to have an outing with family on the bus. That LA Zoo route comes something like once an hour. Nobody's going to be taking that route if it only comes once an hour. They're going to get in their car and they're going to drive over. So we need to take the data and we need to make the investments necessary to make sure that public transit is on time, it's convenient, and it takes you where you need to go. Wonderful. Um, when you say on time, would you implement, like, I don't know about um, the city of Los Angeles, but um, some, some bus routes or some bus companies in Grand Rapids have apps that connect with the bus uh, to give you status updates and stuff like that. Would you be willing to, as mayor, implement things that would help people who want to start riding the bus, just like as I stated with apps about timing, scheduling type stuff, and kind of like a dashboard? That's absolutely something we should look into. And although there are a series of private companies that do have apps like this, apps like the transit app, or even things like Google Maps that can help with the LA transit system. I think the more we can make it easy, the better. I also think that especially for those working class folks, elderly folks who aren't as adept with technology or don't have the access to it, that we should set up at every stop a time clock that tells you exactly when the next ride is going to be there. And it tends to be that in stops in more well-off neighborhoods, you see this, you see a ticker that tells you exactly when the bus is going to be there, but you don't see this all over the city. And to me, that's a common sense policy because although I would very much think the city could look into how we can set up apps to get people into public transit, if someone walks by a bus stop and isn't sure when the bus is going to be there and there's a ticker that says, well, it's only two minutes away, they're less likely to go, oh, maybe I should just take a car. And that's another example of how data-driven, evidence-backed policy can get the job done for public transit. Uh, as mayor, how would you make sure that parks um, are kept clean. Uh, I lived in Houston, Texas um, for two and a half years, and some of the parks there were dirty um, and just not parks that you'd want to play at, sit at, have a picnic at. Um, as part of your climate change, I guess it's more about greenery and, uh, nat and more nature uh, environment policy. How would you make sure that they are kept clean just in general. I think we have a lot of great urban parks here in Los Angeles. We have more parks than I think a lot of Angelinos even realize we have. And I think that's great. I think we as a city need to be making more investments in green space. So let's put that money toward green space. And let's also make it a priority to have these parks checked and cleaned. As an Echo Park neighborhood councilman, 
there's been a lot of controversy over our local Echo Park. Echo Park had a large homeless encampment that was uh, cleared out by police a few months back. It was a big controversial event in the community. Following this, they have since reopened the park, but the park has a large fence around it and it detracts from the beauty of the park. So really what we need to do is we can help keep our parks clean by investing in homelessness plans. That's gonna keep our parks clean. And alongside that, we need to work to actually put money toward keeping our parks and our urban greenery strong here in Los Angeles. Because green spaces are not only pretty, they not only can be helpful for the ecosystem, but they encourage people to bring up their families in our city. And we're seeing an exodus here in Los Angeles of people who work here, who live here for a while, but when they actually have children and begin to raise families, they leave the city. So we need to encourage our green spaces and we need to make sure those are kept clean and strong to guarantee that people can raise their family in a safe, fun, green park. Yeah, sounds wonderful. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about people moving out of the city um, and that kind of stuff and how you would kind of try to get people to stay? I know you, there's not too, too much you can do, but you can help make the city a better place. I think homelessness is a big part of it. I think a lot of people are worried about homelessness and they're scared and I don't blame them for that fear. We have tens of thousands of unhoused people on our streets and that's a problem that needs to be addressed, especially as we are about to see a surge after the eviction moratorium imposed by Governor Newsom expires. We are going to see a major surge in homelessness. So those quality of life issues are important. But really, I think it comes down to two simple things of why people leave cities. And that's cost of living and it's jobs. So when it comes to cost of living, all of my plans are going to work without raising the taxes on everyday Angelinos. That is important because there are a lot of people who are wondering how they're going to be able to continue to, as working people, pay their tax burden. We're not going to raise taxes. We are having broad, powerful, important progressive policies without raising taxes. And that's a policy that's never been sold almost anywhere in the country. So that's crucial. We also need to cost, keep cost of living low by supporting rent stabilization policies, making sure people's rent doesn't go through the roof every month. That's unfair. And it prioritizes landlords over real everyday people. So that's cost of living. And we're going to try to keep cost of living low and lower it so people can stay in the city. And secondarily, it's jobs. We need to make sure that after the pandemic, small business in Los Angeles can come roaring back. And we need to make sure that industry central to our city, whether it be film, clothing manufacturing, aerospace, that these industries that are crucial to our city feel that they have a home here and can build jobs here because we're seeing jobs not just be shipped overseas, but be shipped to other cheaper parts of the country. So we need to make sure that we can have our jobs here because if someone feels they have a good job here, a good well-paying union job, they have a house that they can afford the rent on and they can get on track to actually buying a home, 
that their tax burden is fair and reasonable and that when they go out with their family, that we have a safe community, a safe community without homelessness, with less crime, with less trash, that's going to be a city people want to stay in. And it's in fact going to be a city that after the pandemic, lots of people are going to be coming to or coming back to. People who left are going to be coming back to Los Angeles because Los Angeles is coming back. Uh, let's talk about education and schooling. So I think a general uh, thing throughout the whole country um, in bigger cities, there's going to be schools, part of the public uh education system in that city there's going to be schools that are better in like bigger and more wealthy neighborhoods that are cleaner uh well more well taken care of um, and then there's going to be schools and in less in like lesser parts of the city that are still part of the same education district uh the same public school district but they're not as nice um as the bigger, better schools, I guess. How would you make sure that the schools stay equal and there's not a big difference in the education teacher-wise and that the kids are getting in like cleanliness and all that kind of stuff? I grew up going to public schools here in Los Angeles. I was public school K through 12. And after that, I went off to UC San Diego for college, which is not in Los Angeles, but it's a public university. I feel that we need to prioritize public education as an issue. And what I can say, although most issues of curriculum and a lot of issues of pay are done through the school board, which I do not have control over, the mayor does have control over the budget. And that's really, I think, one of the priorities. We need to make sure that we are making investments in the schools that are struggling. And we need to work with those who are seeking to innovate to get the job done. You know, musicians Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine have announced that they're launching a magnet school in the uh, neighborhood of South Central Los Angeles, I believe, in South Los Angeles. And what we are seeing with this brand new school, a magnet, which is a, a version of a public school, is we're allowing for innovation. But these innovations, these investments, these investments that have already been made in more well-off neighborhoods, investments that need to be made citywide, we shouldn't just wait until rich philanthropists like Dr. Dre, Jimmy Iovine, Eli Broad make these investments. We as a city need to be stepping up and getting it done. And there are wider issues at play, like the fact that I believe that we need to stop having education entirely funded by property taxes. And that's a nationwide problem. But here in Los Angeles, we have worked to start fixing those problems. It's really just about making sure that those resources are well allocated. And especially after COVID-19, when many students have struggled with at-home learning, we need to make the investments in inner city schools, in working class neighborhoods, so kids can get back on track. Because what we're seeing right now is not just an expanding wealth gap, we're seeing an expanding education gap, especially during COVID-19. 
So we need to just make those investments. And as mayor, I'm going to make the investments in the communities that need it. Uh, so in the city of Los Angeles, I know in bigger cities too, there's the common issue of people not agreeing with police reform. What is your policy on police reform and defunding the police or just police reform in general? Our police budget here in Los Angeles is too high. And I think when I say that, some folks find it controversial, but it's just a factual statement. In New York City this year, policing made it between eight and 9% of the total budget. Here in Los Angeles, that number is more than 48%. That is an insane amount of money to spend on a system that does not actually seem to be preventing crime or working to root out its systemic long-term causes. What I wanna do as mayor is reallocate more funds away from the police budget and towards social services, investments in healthcare, investments in addiction treatment, investments in education, and investments in housing. Because those are the policies that are going to long-term stop rising crime. And we know historically when we make investment in those areas, we see declines in crime in a way that the police don't bring. So although the defund the police movement is a controversial slogan for a lot of people, I think that cutting the police budget and reallocating funds is crucial to what I'm trying to do. Last summer, I was extensively involved in organizing, in working with groups for Black Lives, for police reform, and I'm not stopping as a candidate. I am the candidate of police reform. I am the candidate who supports reallocating funds away from policing. So we can get this done because I think although a lot of Angelinos may be scared of the defund the police slogan. The protests after the murder of George Floyd last summer were the largest civil rights movement in American history. We can get this done and we can prioritize these solutions that are not just going to be compassionate, but they're the ones that long term are going to cut crime rates. So let's put our money where our mouth is on racial justice and let's reallocate funds away from policing and towards social services. Um, lost my place there. Um, well, great policy questions. Um, you gave great answers to all those. Um, let's move on to more of some personal questions uh, about you so that people listening to this um, can more get to know you. What did you get your college degree as and did it affect your political aspirations or your political readiness, I guess? UC San Diego degree at 19 degree in theater. That's my background. That's not maybe the most traditional political background, but when I was at UC San Diego, I learned a lot about organizing, about getting groups of people together and getting things done. And I was extensively involved in activism since early on in high school. And I think really one of the things I learned through my theater degree, where I specialize in directing, 
is how to lead a team, how to manage groups of people, and how to tell a story. And I think a lot of what politics is, especially in a city like Los Angeles, is telling the story of our city. And it's making sure we can then manage groups of people to make that story better for all Angelinos. So that's my college background. UC San Diego, not in the city of Los Angeles, didn't need to be that close to home for all of college. But uh, I think it's important that we have leaders who go to public college here in the state of California. I think that's really important because a lot of the time what we see represented in politics is Ivy League folks. And that's not my background. Both my parents went to college. Both my parents went to college right here in California. My dad went to uh, the California State University at Northridge. My mom went to UCLA. I go to, I, yeah, my background is UC San Diego. So that's the policy as I see it, is that we need to be investing in state schools. And I think that my background, having gone to a state school, prepares me for leadership. Um, growing up, what did you want to be as like a profession? Um, and has that changed or is it completely off of um, similarities to what you are as a politician now? I really don't think I always knew I wanted to be in politics. For many years when I was a child, I wanted to be a paleontologist. I was fascinated by science. I was fascinated by dinosaurs and fossils. And that's what I wanted to do for a really long time. And as a teenager, I began to get very into storytelling. I knew in high school that I needed to go into politics and I see it as a need because I come from an artistic family. I come from an entertainment industry background, which is part of the backbone of this city. I take great pride in being from a entertainment industry union family. That's so much of the spine of Los Angeles. But I knew in high school that I was going to get involved in politics and that's because it's necessary. I got very involved in activism as a high schooler. I co-founded my first community organization, Survivors Power, which worked especially to get resources to survivors of sexual violence in the Los Angeles school system, get them resources. I knew at a certain point that activism in private life is a great thing, but it can't make the same gains that politics can. And I think although I came to politics originally with a deeply cynical attitude, an idea that political parties don't really care about us, that it's all about special interests, the folks I've met, both outsiders, everyday activists working with the party, neighborhood council folks and other politicians, and folks within the California Democratic Party, of which I'm a proud member, really all of us, a lot of us are just people with real goals who hope to enact real change. And so I think I've really embraced politics here in Los Angeles a lot more upon realizing that everyday people can make change and that we need to step into the political arena. And that although it's great to go to protests, to organize protests, to organize community organizations, getting involved in politics is the best way that you can work to enact change in our society. 
Yeah. Uh, well, it's great to uh, hear that you're not uh, um, like a you didn't go to school for politics and that you are um, just a normal person. Um, it's nice to see that. Um, what is what would you say your political ideology is, and what would one politician be that lines up perfectly with your ideology, policy-wise? I'm a progressive Democrat, and I think that's really defining of a lot of my ideology. Again, it's not exact. The Democratic Party and I do not always align, but I align with them far better than the Republican Party, and that's why I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat for that reason, and because I believe that we have a power as a party to come together and enact real change. I have great friends, smart people who are independents, and I think that's great, but I think the party allows us the power to enact wider change with a budget to get things done. And I'm a progressive. I believe that progressivism, this idea that's been around since the late 19th century, that we need to invest in public resources, that we need to support everyday people, that we need to stop criminalizing things people do in their private lives and start cracking down on the Wall Street fat cats who are taking from everyday people. It's about a change of priorities. And although I can't say I align exactly with any politician because no one totally aligns, I'd say folks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar would be two of my role models in politics who are inspiring me to run as a young activist, as someone who supports a progressive ideology. And really, that's exactly what I want to do here in Los Angeles. I would be the youngest mayor in our city's history, and I would really be our city's first truly progressive mayor. You can read the history of our city. It's a lot of conservatives, a lot of moderates. We need progressive leadership here in the city. And AOC, Omar, those are the kinds of folks that inspire me to make real change in our community. Yeah, two great politicians. Um, everybody at our organization uh, loves them as well. Um, who did you support in the 2020 primaries uh, for presidential election? I think the 2020 primary, although very complicated, was a great example of democracy in action and how a lot of candidates can be in the race. And I can say that, honestly, that I liked a lot of the candidates in the race. In the end, I voted for Bernie Sanders. I had supported Bernie Sanders in 2016, and I ended up supporting Bernie Sanders again in 2020. I am currently having the seal of approval of the Field of Burn Democratic Club of the San Fernando Valley and a variety of other organizations that are affiliated with the Field of Burn movement. So I'm a Bernie supporter. That's where I was in 2020. But I think it was great that the 2020 primary allowed us the opportunity to have great discussions with not one or two candidates to be debated like a normal year, but with a wide range of candidates that give people the opportunity to discuss in our democracy. And I'm proud to say that our Los Angeles mayoral election is looking like it's going to be a crowded field. And although that may be difficult for me to break through the chatter as a candidate, I think that's a great thing for our democracy. Um, yeah, the 2020 uh, primaries were amazing because there's so many different um, 
ideologies in that field. Uh, I mean, it really, I think people who hadn't been able to vote before because they weren't too progressive or they were um, more moderate, um, they had their choice of who they could support. Um, unlike in past elections, maybe not even voting. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it was important that we got um, a lot of uh, different ideologies in there, not just the same kind of clones of the same people. Uh, in the New York City mayor election, they are using ranked choice voting. Um, are you using that in Los Angeles or do you support it? Um, or is it just normal balloting? We still here in Los Angeles have first past the post for most intents and purposes. I'm a supporter of ranked choice voting. I think it is a system that works a lot better and I'm proud to see it being used in New York in a way that really draws attention to it from across the country. But in terms of our city, we have a top two nonpartisan primary system in the entire state of California, we have that. And in Los Angeles, we have a nonpartisan mayoral election. So the way it's gonna work is if anyone in the primary, which is fully nonpartisan, gets more than 50% of the vote, they're automatically declared the winner. Otherwise, the top two participants will go to the runoff in November where there will be another vote. It is a better system than the partisan first past the post primary systems that exist in many states. It is absolutely a better system that's what, what, than what's in a lot of the country, but I would totally support our city switching over to ranked choice voting. Awesome. Um, any future things with your campaigns that you're excited for um, without like spoiling anything that you would like to keep a secret, but um, anything that you're looking forward to that you may have talked about or not talked about within your campaign? I'm excited to lay out strong policy proposals that I can give people all the details on. And that's something that we're going to have hopefully by the end of the year. Specifically, our transit plans, our environmental plans, and a more detailed, all-encompassing version of the home plan. That's something we hope to get out by the end of the year. And it's something that going into the primary, we're excited to say that voters aren't just going to have to be relying on slogans. They're not even going to have to be relying on limited policy statements or positions. They're going to be able to have actual plans so they can see exactly what we're going to be able to implement when we go to City Hall. And that's something we're really excited for. And we're excited in general to build this movement. We're in all grassroots, no big corporate PACs, no special interest money. We're an all grassroots effort driven by young volunteers. And we're excited to bring people on board to join the cause, to join our movement so we can make these changes at City Hall. It's an exciting time and we're really excited to be in this race. So let's say you do get elected. Um, what would be the first thing um, that you do or will you set goals like uh, President Biden did uh, for his first 100 days, kind of what would be the first few things you changed within the city um, on that first yeah. day? On day one and for the first 100 days, I would focus immediately on homelessness because it's about 
executive action. That's what that first 100 days is often about. Biden's first 100 days, where he got a lot of great policies done, wasn't about the things he had to run by the Senate and Congress. It was about the things that you can get done by executive action. So I would use executive action to start setting up safe campgrounds immediately in city-owned vacant lots. I would immediately start making great appointments to make sure that City Hall was staffed with the folks who are experienced, who aren't just political insiders, but the people who are getting things done. And I would work immediately to appoint a great number of deputy mayors to appoint folks to manage the agencies. And something I'm very proud to say I would do on day one is I would fire our current chief of police and appoint a new progressive chief who would be with us for our reform agenda. It would be a very busy first 100 days, but these are the things that we need to get done and they show us exactly why the mayor is important. Because a lot of the time people get cynical, these things aren't getting done, but there's a lot you can do. And then as we come up to the first yearly budget, that's when we can implement a lot of our policies toward reallocating funds toward things that matter. So as mayor, day one, you're gonna see an entirely new crop of people, people especially from community orgs, from the nonprofit world, who are gonna be appointed to high positions of city power. You're gonna see the beginning of safe campgrounds in Los Angeles to end street homelessness. And you're going to see a new police chief on day one. Wonderful. Um, and let, let's say people um, or organizations or just people listening to this show um, that live in LA uh, want to know how they can help out with your campaign or that kind of like volunteer work or how they can just get involved in general. Where would you direct them to and what do you need help with the most? At the moment, we really need a lot of help with social media promotion. We're really just trying to get the name and the campaign out there. Long-term, we're going to be trying to knock on as many doors in the city as possible. And if you're in Los Angeles and want to help, we need your help. You can sign up to volunteer, to donate, or to work with us at mayoralex.com. Mayoralex.com. You can sign up for all of that. And to sign up for email updates so you can stay abreast of whatever we're doing on our campaign. And on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're at Mayor Alex LA. And you can help just get the message out to friends by promoting our posts. If you're a community org here in Los Angeles, if you're a prominent person, we need your endorsement. That's how we can get things done and get our name out there. So please join the movement at MayorAlex.com. So I think people come, or at least who I've talked to, um, in more local um, situations like yours, um, they like people want to help out from like, for example, I don't live in California and I don't live in Los Angeles. How would you feel about people that live like out of state, out of city, um, wanting to help out with that, with your campaign? Would you welcome that help or would you say, this is great, but we want more people from the city to be helping us. We welcome all help of people who want to support our progressive movement. We do not have a state uh, limit or a city limit for out of state donations as in a total number of donors. We do have a cap, no more than $1,500 
per person. But this absolutely is an Angelino-centric movement. It's a movement for the future of Los Angeles. If folks want to phone bank with us, if people want to fly out and knock on doors, if people want to promote us on social media or donate, we will accept the help. But what we first and foremost need the help with is if you live out of state and you like our message and you think we can bring change to Los Angeles City Hall, call your friends and your family who live in Los Angeles and spread the message to them because those are the folks who can work day in and day out to get the work done in Los Angeles. We accept help from all who welcome a progressive movement. And if you live outside the city and you know people in Los Angeles, the best thing you can do is to promote it to your friends and family so we can expand our reach as a campaign. Um, and kind of wrapping up this episode, what would you say to the teenagers that will be able to vote in 2022? Um, I know this is a big thing for our organization, uh, getting teenagers ready to vote, um, teaching them about candidates um, locally and nationwide. Uh, what would you tell them, uh, like the teenagers that will be able to vote in Los Angeles in 2022, but don't know how or who to vote for? We as a state are working to make it easier than ever to cast your ballot. Even as voting rights are rolled back across the country, we're lucky to have a strong system here in California. Vote, turn out to vote, request a mail-in ballot, or show up to the polls during the many days, about a week and a half that we tend to allow people to show up to vote. We have a great system here in California. If you wanna learn more, there are lots of great resources and voter guides that can help instruct you. You are the future of American politics. Our campaign is working right now because of young volunteers and activists. We are proud of the next generation of leadership stepping up in politics. So come join the movement. That means not only showing up to vote, but it means work with a campaign like ours, volunteer, use your platform on social media, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, use your platform to promote important social issues and promote the political candidates you care about. We can change this city and this country for the better, but we can only do it together as one American people, as one city, as one state and one nation. And if you're a young person who's not sure where their place in politics is, give us an email and we can get you a place on our campaign because we need young people in politics now more than ever. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Alex, uh, for coming on this show, um, and thank you to all of our listeners. Um, stay tuned for next week's episode uh, with some more great candidates, um, and we will see you guys back on another episode.